Welcome to the Vet Podcast by the Vet Gurus, Brendan and Mark. Get ready for the latest veterinary news, information and entertainment. Don't forget to visit us at the Vet Gurus website, vetgurus.com. Now, sit back, relax, it's over to the Vet Gurus, Brendan and Mark. Here we are again, Brendan here with Mark, vetgurus.com. Visit there, have a look around, visit our sponsor websites as well, the people who help us out, keep us going. Mark, what have you been up to? Frogs. I've been up to frogs, Brendan. <laughs> up to frogs. We, up frogs. We, we have, what have you been up to with frogs? We have an episode about um, about the care of frogs. I, I can't remember the number. You'll find it. You've got the search. I'll look it up while you chat, yes. Um, but, um, but we've been seeing an increasing number of them, different species. Um, more people are breeding them in captivity and um, and they're taking a, 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 a greater portion of my time captive frogs i'm enjoying it too i i you know you know i have my own small coterie my own small collection of frogs um and um and i love um uh, seeing the the ones that we get to see i don't like seeing them because they're sick but um i do love the fact that we can find out what's wrong with them and uh, treat them and get them better so frogs have been a bit of an exciting part of practice for me lately you get to see a few frogs, don't you, down there in Melbourne? Yeah, I think, yes, we do. Uh, it's so the main topic, um, frogs. Yeah, we've had a couple of episodes on frogs, Mark. Episode 137 was about uh, toxicity of green tree frogs to dogs, if you remember that I podcast. Do. That was a, a bit of an unusual one a while away, a while away, uh, a while ago. Um, I'll tell you what, there's a few of them. Um, we talk about frogs in the reptile anesthesia one. Um, and I think the classic one you are probably thinking of, Mark, was episode 55, Mark, what episode 55. Of the utility of the search function on our webpage. That's right, vetgurus.com, and, and there's a little... You'd be surprised. Just pick a topic you know you want to. <laughs> Just find something really odd, plug it in, and you'll be surprised that Brendan and I have probably talked about it over the last several hundred episodes. Yes, so episode 55 was... Amphibian Care, Mark, that was the one you were thinking of, Amphibian Care. And the title of that one was obviously Croak um, for episode 55. And that was way back, Mark, in the time machine, November the 1st, 2018. Pre-COVID. Is when, is when, yes, certainly well before COVID. So, yes, so there we go. What about with you? So, what have you been up to? What's been... Well, we've seen a few frogs, but um, I tell you what, we don't see as many as I we used to see amphibian-wise is axolotls. Um, so I don't know whether there's something happening there, Mark, whether they're all dying off or whether they don't want to come to my clinic. I, but I, um, It's interesting that you say that because I, we've noticed the same thing. They used to be a regular. You know what, my, I've Mark's theory, I'm full of theories, Brendan. None of them have been proven. My theory is that people have learned how to look after them better. We don't see them, with, you know, they a lot of the care, the temperature, the husbandry, the substrates that are used, 
um, I think statistically far fewer people are doing the wrong thing with them. And so the people that have them are much more committed to doing it well and so they don't end up coming to us. Yes, although there's always exceptions. We, the one we had in today, Mark, was septicemic and um, emaciated and um, extremely poor husbandry. So it had a had a nice little bath of alfaxalone um, before it was euthanized. So, <laughs> so there we go, amphibians, Mark. We've covered them already on this um, podcast, but we weren't going to talk about amphibian care in this. Um, we do have a couple of news stories, though. We don't have any any reviews because this one's going to be a pretty punchy and short episode mark um i'm going to jump into my news story first i know you you're down on the agenda the written agenda has been being first up but i'm going to jump into mine because it's a pretty quick one um but i thought it was quite an interesting one mark and that um it's from the royal college of veterinary science um in the UK and a team of vets at University of, that's where the report came from, but a team of vets at the University of Edinburgh have identified a gene, Mark, responsible for causing feline tooth resorption, which is, as you well know, a common condition in cats that, according to the studies, up to 60% of all cats Cats develop feline tooth resorption, or it will be feline, won't it, for cats? Um, so they've um, they, their findings published in scientific reports suggest that an MMP9 gene and the protein it generates are involved in causing tooth resorption. So blocking the action of this particular gene could therefore prevent the cell processes that lead to disease. Now. They need to find a similar one for greyhound teeth, Mark. Um, and I performed a dental on my um, one of my lovely greyhounds, Jezza. Um, his he was way overdue for his six monthly dental because um, greyhounds and dental disease travel around together, don't they, Mark? And um, his it's an teeth are a bit of a mess. Yeah, it's an interesting thing that um, you know the raw meaty bone diet and the dolichocephalic head. Uh, that most greyhounds, um, you know, they get both doses of those things, um, that should mean they never get dental disease. And they invariably do, which runs counter to the... Uh, yeah, there must be a heart. Oh, I've, I've been slack, Mark. I haven't done a search for... There'll be a gene. Um, greyhounds and that and an equivalent gene or, or I'm sure there's a study out there somewhere looking at the bacteria that are in the the mouth of a greyhound and comparing it um, to other other dog breeds and um, maybe it is or maybe it isn't different but um, that's what I'd be looking at first but yes hopefully we can find that greyhound the MM, be, MMP10 gene perhaps. Are we going to be punchy but I've got a question about your article. This is something that's worried me for many 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 years. Many years. Why on earth is the University of Edinburgh's Royal School of Veterinary Studies have a parenthetic dick. That's because of who it's named after, and you know that. You know that answer, don't you, Mark? So you can elaborate a little bit, um, well, a little bit um, more for us. I didn't know. It did worry me, um, but it, you are absolutely, as always, absolutely correct. It's uh, named for um, William. William Dick, the um, the anatomist who began found the, yes the um, the uh, Highland Society Veterinary School 
um, and um, and the hospital, the the university, the school, the veterinary school, was known as um, Dick's Veterinary College. And um, then when yes. it incorporated later, um, they did him the honour of maintaining his name in the title. A very very famous veterinary school, and if you do attend there, you know um, you know that the locals say that you're going to Dick Vet. You're exactly. going to Dick Vet, yes, um, and that's where I went. Where did you attend veterinary school? Dick Vet, yes. So there you go, a bit of trivia. Yes, uh, gee, I was sweating on that, Mark. I wasn't quite sure what you were going to ask, but I, I did actually know the answer to that one, yes. You know all the answers, Brendan. As if. Now, what's your news article, Mark? My article, it's an interesting one because there's several connections to you know, stuff that we already know. It talks about um, a really critical problem in our local area, in our local part of the world, the Christmas Island. Um, in, on the Christmas Island, there's a number of endemic reptiles and they are in trouble. They're dying out. In fact, um, there's been an, uh, one species, um, uh, two species now, as I understand it, Lister's gecko and the blue-tailed skink. I've uh, seen some of the blue-tailed skinks, but they've entirely disappeared from wild, from the now, For our overseas listeners, Mark, um, where is Christmas Island? Um, Christmas, is, Christmas Island is about halfway between Australia and Indonesia, a little bit over in the Indian Ocean. Um, and, um, and it's a very special, um, uh, pristine habitat. Um, and, um, and I think, um, isn't, is that one of the areas that uh, we were talking about, one of our colleagues doing some research there, and I thought Christmas Island was the area that Tristan had spent some time. But in this particular case, uh, one of the PhD students from the University of Sydney um, working within the Australian Registry of Wildlife Health and the Tronga Conservation Society um, has identified uh, the cause of a serious problem that was wiping out these animals in the wild. They were getting very strange and deformations of their, uh, predominantly their head, um, and then they would become lethargic and eventually die. And um, uh, doing some uh, pretty spectacular research, um, Jessica Agius um, has discovered that the organism, there is an organism that causes this, which is sort of in the modern day, finding a bacterium that causes a problem like this is a little bit unusual. They're mainly complex toxins and viruses. But um, Enterococcus lacerti deformans, um, uh, a bacteria, gram-negative bacteria, um, has been um, knocking these. Is it gram-negative? Uh, I could be saying the wrong thing there, Brendan. I'm not going to commit myself to that. Um, but yes, I'll look up while you go on. Um, uh, the bacteria. Go on, yep. Discovered in 2014 after captive reptiles presented with facial deformities and, and then developing lethargy and septicemia and some of them died. Um, uh, obviously, samples were collected and grown and the, uh, the bacterium identified. And the wonder of this uh, um, uh, uh, bacterium is that um, it's quite likely now um, that we'll identify maybe a antibiotic or more likely a... Um, uh, um, a way to control the bacterium in the 
community of bacteria in which it can survive, maybe using some form of, um, uh, you know, probiotic or something that can interfere with its function and uh, prevent it from killing the reptiles. Um, it's been critical also to identify the bacteria so populations, uh, captive populations, uh, can be maintained free of the organism so that uh, at one stage they could be reintroduced back into the wild. Great news and great work for the geckos uh, um, uh, and blue-tailed skinks of uh, Christmas Island. It'd be nice to discover something, wouldn't it, Mark? Um, I just discovered that I'm not going to discover anything um, before the end of my career. That's what I've discovered. <laughs> I, I, I don't... Um, I disagree with you. I think um, your uh, lateral thoughts, the way that you come at things from different angles, there's going to be something that pops out that will have the caramel condition um, title. Well, they named forceps after one of my rallies, didn't they, the caramel forceps? Um, I think that enterococcus, the gram positive cocky, Mark. There you go. Uh, Yeah. Um, and I think the picture on the news article um, looks like gram-positive cocky there, doesn't it, um, yeah, as well? Yeah. Um, so, but um, if you want to correct us, please send an email to g- uh, vetgurus at gmail.com. We welcome email corrections. Not too many of them because they'll, they'll flood in um, for every episode, I think, if we... Um, if we say just send an email for anything that we do wrong um, because we do lots of – we make lots of mistakes, but um, we try and correct them. We need to um, – off tangent here, Mark, we need to um, have an episode of all our mistakes. Um, it's probably going to be a series of episodes, I think, um, an update update on, on our main topics um, of everything that's changed ever since we started our, our podcast. Um, so, and that will probably be another 50 podcasts <laughs> that we need to produce. So, so our main topic, um, we're going to be a short and um, quick one this week um, for our listeners, which some of them, we do get people who do want a short and punchy podcast, Mark, that goes for 15 to 30 minutes and we want other other subscribers want us to to drone on for hours on end like we do on our Christmas sort of New Year's special. So you can't please everyone, can you, unfortunately? But this is going to be a quick one and we, um, I think you wanted to introduce this particular topic and, um, yeah, we'll chat around it as we don't have a particular um, it's agenda for this, do we? we? We wanted to talk about honey. We wanted to talk about honey and its uses and in particular the use and abuse and the qualities or not of Manuka <laughs> brand honey, Mark. Um, so it's a bit of a can of a bottle of honey, this one, isn't it? So what do people um, use these honey products for? for? And traditionally, I, I think most, if not all, of our listeners and, and subscribers will note that um, or know that um, honey is it has good antibacterial properties and it's often used in in wounds is is the primary primary use for it in those sort of um, wounds that we're going to use it to to slap it on there, Mark, for for um, secondary intention sort of healing and to aid in antibiosis in those wounds. Um, is that is that the only sort of use for honey medicinally, Mark? Well, there are some other uses proposed, but I, to be fair, I think. The evidence is pretty slim on the ground that they 
you know, have effects on bacteria in the gut or have health or immune promoting effects. Yes. Yeah. And there's certainly um, some of the health sites, human health sites, um, um, and sort of on the periphery, um, talking about um, ingesting um, manuka honey in particular um, daily. As, um, as as a tonic, I think, Mark, um, is, is what you're getting at, that it will um, it will help with your gut flora and fauna and, and other magical um, organisms in your gut. And, yeah, I, th- I think you've, my summary will be exactly the same as yours in that it um, probably doesn't do much. probably tastes good. Um, it might rot your teeth, but um, if, if it, and it probably has a placebo effect as well, I expect. So the use of it for... Wounds, Mark. Um, what sort of um, species have you applied with manuka honey or honey? Let's just talk about honey generally. And do you think it has a good healing effect and an antibacterial effect in in open wounds and granulating wounds, etc.? Well, it fascinates me, Brendan, because um, the answer to your question is yes. I slap it on lots of things, um, and I go through cycles, I suppose, uh, because there will be times when I suppose I've used it once or twice, and um, and I give it a fair number of to a fair number of cases. The classic one that um, I would routinely think about using it in is the um, the peri auricular abscess in rabbits, where I um, generate a you know, debrider an, an abscess around the ear base on a rabbit, and I'm left with a big saucerized wound, making sure I've removed all the infected material. And that's one of my favourite spots to um, uh, to have. Well, I generate an open wound there quite regularly, and uh, I want to have it granulate well. Um, and um, and we'll use honey in that location on a regular basis. Um, I'm fascinated by it because when someone first suggested to me that honey would make a difference to these wounds, my instincts were: it's um, you know a uh, it's um. A very concentrated solution of sugars, um, and um, and certainly I would have thought that bacteria would thrive in, in you know a thin smear of, um, uh, of sugar. But the osmotic effects are clearly um, very effective at preventing bacterial multiplication and um, and uh, and discourage those wounds from becoming infected. And, and there's no doubt that. Um, it works wonderfully with, particularly with those abscesses near rabbit's ears. And I must admit, I don't, a bit like you, in that I tend not to use it for ages, and then I go on a bit of a honey spray and 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 slap it around everywhere. Um, not just in. This is one of the, when I'm going through my cycles. Um, I get all enthusiastic. I do a bit of reading and um, try maybe a different way of applying it or. Or whatever, um, but then I get to using it four or five times, and I go wash my hands for the eleven thousandth time because they're still sticky. Um, it's messy. It's messy, Brendan. It is, um, and similar to you, I'd use it on those sort of wounds, granulating or, or chronic wounds. And sometimes I reach for it in out of desperation for those non-healing um, ulcerated sort of wounds that. The animal may have been on multiple antibiotics and, and um, culture may have been unrewarding or we've got something that we think um, an antibiotic should 
work with it based on the CNS, and yet it doesn't. Um, and then we say, what do we do now? Well, let's throw some honey in there and um, mixed success with it, Mark, um, with it. But uh, uh, certainly it has a place and it's well documented in the human medical literature, isn't it? Um, as, as, and I think it's undergoing a bit of a, a renaissance, isn't it, in, in the human field, especially with the, the concerns about antimicrobial resistance and, and the use of products like um, honey um, to help help knock down the bugs, Mark. So I think we need to talk about the elephant in the room, and that is Manuka honey versus other honeys and, and what is special. And let's go back to probably point that the first step with that, what is Manuka honey? What's the definition of Manuka honey, Mark? Um, man, manuka is a Maori word which um, which refers to a plant, um, Leptospermum scoparium. The, uh, um, I think in Australia, the, the plant exists in New Zealand and Australia. Um, in Australia, we call it the... I had it with me just a minute ago. It's one of our tea trees. Uh, yeah. Um, anyway, the um, honey uh, that's produced by these that feed the interesting thing about manuka in New Zealand, the plant in New Zealand, is that um, it largely, for the time of year that it flowers, it's the one of the, there's not many other plants flowering, so they can get um, honey that's largely only, what are they, what's the, April term, it's um, mono, um, mono, 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 monofloral, a monofloral honey um, that only uh, comes from the the uh, um, the uh, manuka tree. Um, it's interesting in that there is a you know apiarists tell me um, that there are individual characteristics to monofloral honeys that they do have. Um, uh, flavors, um, taste, um, uh, even um, consistencies, densities, thickness um, that are characteristic for particular plants and the honey that the bees make from those. Um, and so I, I don't absolutely rule out that there might be some agent in the, the tea tree that leads to a characteristic of that honey being better suited for this purpose, but I don't know that it's unique. Um, and I think it's a little bit of a trade name thing. Um, yes, and they've and they've certainly registered that and, mm -hmm. and there's a lot of fights over the, the use of um, particular names and saying it's um, Manuka honey or and I think one of the trademarks is called Medi Honey um, that was on the on the market. And I'm not quite sure whether that one's still around and that's one of the Manuka sort of product honey. So I think it's yeah. The concern is that it's it's um, not that evidence based. Um, with a lot of the um, um, advocates saying that yeah, it's a bit like saying champagne. You know, it has to be from the champagne region, um, and that if you got something that's bubbly and alcoholic, you're not allowed to call it champagne unless it's from champagne, and it won't taste as good or cost as much or more, um, or, or vice versa. Um, and I think it gets back to that. It, it is a lot of um, marketing with that um, because the, the limited sort of literature search of of um, done on, on Manuka honey and comparing it to the other honeys, it's a bit um, a bit vague about it. It's not clear-cut, is it, Mark? It's um, not identified a specific agent. 
that uh, yeah, generate yeah. difference. And I mean, there's, cer- there's certainly a little bit of a um, um, a uh, an important point to be made i suppose comparing what they call sort of medical grade honey compared with you know just just honey um pulled out of the supermarket um because they they do vary with sort of what's in there um apart from just the straight honey and the and the percentage of actual honey in the jar of honey and 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 whether it's filtered or not um so um i i saw a good report i'm just trying to pull it up here at the moment um comparing the antimicrobial sort of agents and what's in um what's called sort of sterile um, medical grade honey compared to table honeys um and, and i think there is a reasonable um sort of indication that those medical grade ones are are certainly a better quality as far as having that antibacterial effect than than the non-medical sort of grade ones but yeah, I, I I don't think we necessarily have to reach just for manuka honey, um, considering that they're the only ones we should use in our a- animals. We've used um, both um, manuka and the manuka brand and other honeys, and I know it's a relatively small sample size, but I can't tell you that I can tell a difference in the cases I see. And I think the mode of action is that... Um, osmotic pressure it puts on the, the uh, surrounding tissues, making it um, unsuitable for bacterial growth. And um, I don't like that's not a unique characteristic of Manuka brand honey. Yep. So um, are there any don'ts um, to use in this, Mark? And, and, and the first one that often gets um, – asked of me mark would would be the use of um the honey in a species like a rabbit that you mentioned at the start um and the concern that hey maybe the bonded rabbit um that's with its little mate that has a manuka honey um in an orifice um may lick out that honey and um don't we worry about a rabbit getting um ingesting that honey and all that that sugar mark we do we definitely worry about um about the ingestion, but generally speaking, we're not um, keeping the whole with, you know, tablespoons of honey. We are, um, you know, applying a smear, a solid smear, um, but it's, we're not, um, we're not trying to fill the void as it were. Um, So I, I, I don't know that, um, that it, uh, I generally do recommend that if there's companion animals, companion rabbits, companion herbivores, that um, we use some other uh, wound um, dressing, uh, wound gel, or um, uh, or protect the wound in such a way that makes it difficult for um, cohorts to access the area and ingest the honey. But I can't tell you that it's been a significant problem in the cases we've seen. Yes. Yes, so don't be overzealous is your recommendation for that. Um, so um, any other final thoughts, Mark? Look, we may finish fairly early with this um, this particular snappy, punchy episode. Anything else you'd like to say about the use of honey? Well, only just that I'd be interested in feedback. It's one of those things that, um, that uh, I'm unconvinced about going in cycles and um, I'd be interested in the opinion of our listeners, whether they use it significantly. I know we do have some listeners in New Zealand and 
definitely be interested in their opinion. Absolutely, yeah, it will be. Um, it will be something we'll look to, forward to. Vetgurus at gmail dot com. That's the place to send your email to. Um, send us an email, and as usual, um, you may even end up being entered into a competition um, if you send an email to us and and a giveaway. And depending on when this particular episode is released, because this is one of the episodes that we're sort of recording in advance um, as a backup um, in case we need to um, shove one in if if one of us is going away on a bit of a a bit of a break or a holiday. So, um, yeah, Manuka honey, um, get some, get it in your animals and get it on your toast as well. So it's got multiple uses, hasn't it, Mark? And Mr. Outro's here, so we're out of here and we'll talk to you all next week. Thanks for listening to the Vet Podcast by the Vet Gurus. Don't forget to visit us at the website, vetgurus.com, where you can subscribe, view show notes, listen to previous episodes and more. You can contact us via email at vetgurus at gmail.com to ask a question or just say hi. Thanks again and see you next time. Thank you.